Good morning, friends. Um, these last few weeks, I've been preaching in uh, Branson and Nixa and Springfield, Missouri, and I've been preaching through the Gospels. And we've been looking at a series of parables, uh, looking at Jesus' teaching about the second coming in the last days. When he spoke on the subject, he made three things really pretty clear. He's coming back. He doesn't know the hour or the day, and neither can we. And we must be ready at all times. He also said that in the last days there would be lots of trouble, an increasing darkness on planet Earth, wars, famines, earthquakes, persecution, deception, betrayal, an increase of wickedness, and on and on. And on top of that, he says in Matthew 24:13, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. So we've been talking a lot about how to outlast the darkness. This darkness can refer to the troubled times our world will experience as the end of the age draws near. It can also refer to the darkness that we experience in our most troubled times, losing a job, losing a loved one, a child in rebellion, health crisis, and on and on. Now, some might say, I don't know if the world is about to come to an end, but I do know that my world is about to come to an end. I'm facing some tough times, and I don't know what to do about it. How can I outlast the darkness? Well, in these last few weeks, we've talked about keeping your head on straight, keeping your heart in the right place, and keeping your feet on the pavement. We've talked about being ready for whatever life brings you uh, your way by taking care of details, by taking responsibility for yourself and your outcomes, and by acting before it's too late. And we've talked about investing your life by taking what God has given you and faithfully using it for his glory. The underlying theme throughout this group of messages, I guess, would be do something now. Don't wait. Don't put off getting your life on the right track. Don't put off preparing for your future. Don't let the important details slide. Do something now. Now, it's inevitable that there will come a day for each and every one of us that we will stand before God and we will be held accountable for our life. Now, this is how Jesus described it in our text today. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, separating the sheep from the goats is an interesting comparison. In Palestine, goats and sheep often grazed together, but were separated when it came time to shear the sheep. But as one commentary pointed out, is that the sheep and the goats looked quite similar, especially from a distance. It wasn't always easy then to distinguish the difference. The same is true with people. Sometimes those who look like sheep from a distance are, well, they're actually goats. We can't always tell the difference, but the shepherd can. And he will, he will separate us according in, accordingly in the final judgment. Jesus says in verse 33, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The question then is, what's the difference between the sheep and the goats? Why will some people be placed on the right, others on the left? But Jesus gives us a, a clear, unambiguous answer. The defining difference between a sheep and the goat is this, how you respond to human need. Now, I want you to stick with me through this message because I'm not talking about a social gospel or getting saved by good works. But Jesus makes it clear in this story that his people, those who have been saved by his grace, prove themselves to be his people in the way they respond to human need. The sheep on the right showed compassion. The goats on the left didn't. Now, here's a fact. When you stand before the throne and Jesus examines your life, you will be graded you will not be graded on your religious jargon. You will not be graded on church membership. 
You will not be graded on the number of Christian CDs in your car or the number of Christian books on your shelf or the number of spiritual life conferences you've attended. You will be graded according to your response to the needs of others. Did you or did you not show compassion? Now, in this passage, Jesus tells us exactly what he expects of us. He's not asking us to do the impossible. Showing compassion is something anyone can do, no matter who you are, where you live, how much time you have, or how little money you have. So for the next few moments this morning, let's take a look at three don'ts to consider for those who want to live a life of compassion. The first key is don't overlook small chances to do good. In verses 34 to 36, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Jesus is saying that we shouldn't overlook opportunities to help others. We need to do good whenever we can do good. Now, when you consider issues such as world hunger and poverty, it's easy to be overcome with a sense of helplessness and despair. After all, you're just one person. I mean, what can one person do? Well, you can't fix it for everyone. You can't. None of us can. But you can fix it for at least someone. There is someone you can help. Now, I'd venture to say that everyone who's listening probably knows someone who could use a little help financially. Everyone knows someone who's lonely and would appreciate having a visitor or a phone call. I mean, everyone probably knows someone who's sick and would appreciate a word of cheer. In fact, according to statistics, we probably all know someone in prison who would benefit greatly from our kindness and unconditional love. Showing compassion begins with a willingness to do good and doing it when the opportunity presents itself. Now, I know you all are probably familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. A man on a journey was beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. As he lay dying, two religious men passed him by, one a priest, the other a Levite. Each of them, upon seeing him on the side of the road, passed by on the other side. Well, you know the third guy was a Samaritan, and Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jews. They were considered half-breeds and not pure descendants of Abraham. But this Samaritan saw past the racial differences between him and the injured man. He bandaged his wounds, took him to an inn, took care of him. He paid the bill. Now, this is Jesus' example of what it means to show compassion. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the name Bob Geldof, but Bob Geldof is a British rock rocker who he was in a band called the Boomtown Rats. Now, way back in 1984, in the midst of frantically taking care of the details of his career, he was watching a newscast that changed everything for him. It was about the famine in Ethiopia, in which millions of people faced starvation. Well, that night, millions of other religious people saw the same newscast. Preachers, priests, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, and so on. But Bob Geldof, this irreverent punk rock musician, did something about it. He decided to get a few of his musician friends together to record a song and donate the profits to charity. This started a chain reaction that raised $100 million for famine relief, and some of that money actually went to evangelical organizations. He had no idea that his efforts would raise that much money. His goal was to raise merely one-tenth of one percent of that amount. But he did what he could, and it made a difference. Now, no one's asking you to underwrite the operating budget for World Vision, but you could probably sponsor a child. 
I mean, no one's asking you to bring about a prison reform, but you probably could to visit someone who needs encouragement. No one's asking you to save the world, but you know you can share Christ's love with someone who doesn't know him. I'll say it again. Do good when you can do good. When the opportunity presents itself, do something, even if it's small. That's the first key. The second key is don't ask for a receipt. Now, I'm speaking metaphorically, of course. If you make a tax-deductible donation, it's okay to get a receipt. This is really what I'm talking about. When you do good, forget about how it's going to benefit you. Listen to how the sheep responded when praised. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now, the sheep in this story did not know that they were scoring points in heaven by helping the down and out. That wasn't their motive. Their motive was simply to respond with compassion to human need. They didn't ask for a receipt. They didn't attempt to document their good deeds so that God would later be impressed. They just helped out when they could help out. Now, the fact is that many times when we do good for others, we receive something good in return. But our purpose for doing good is to get it, is not to get something in return. I mean, if we are, we're, we're missing the point. I mean, sheep help people because it's in their heart to respond to human need. They help because they care. Now, unfortunately, too often when we have the chance to help other people, we become like Don Corleone. You remember the movie The Godfather? Then the beginning, a guy with a kind of a bad comb over come to him, comes to him and asks him for a favor. And Don Corleone, that was Marlon Brando, agrees to do it, but then says, Someday, and that day may never come, I will call upon you to do me a service in return. Until that day, consider this justice a gift. Now, in other words, he would say, Yes, I'll help you out, but you will owe me. I'll hold this over you until I get payback. See, showing compassion is not about scoring points. It's not about quid pro quo, and it's not about getting leverage over other people. It's about responding to human need. It's about helping people who hurt, regardless of how it may or may not benefit us. Do you want to learn to show compassion? Do good without demanding that you get credit for it. Do good without expecting anything in return. Do good, but don't ask for a receipt. The third crucial don't to showing compassion is don't exclude anyone. Take a look at the response of the goats in verse 44. They'll answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? Now, you get the impression that if they had known that their help would have been credited to their spiritual account, that Jesus was the one behind the needs of those they ignored, that they would have responded differently. But listen to Jesus' response in verse 45. I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for, catch this now, one of the least of these you did not do for me. The least of these. I mean, who would you consider the least of these? Those who will never be able to pay you back? Those who've made really bad choices and messed their life? Those of a different race? Those who live in a country whose politics you disagree with? those who belong to a different denomination or religion. Now, I don't believe that we have permission to exclude anyone from our acts of compassion. Let me share with you a true story. Uh, The church leadership had been trying to develop 
strategies for reaching kids in their community when their pastor kind of stumbled across an unusual opportunity. There was a nearby church who was already reaching out. They had an after-school program in progress, but it was in jeopardy of being closed because their building didn't have any air conditioning, and in the south, it's way too hot to pack 50 to 60 kids into a building with some kind of cooling system. So the pastor's idea was this. Why don't we provide this church, which, by the way, was of a different denomination, with a new central unit, and they can continue their ministry to kids? And they presented the idea... He presented the idea to his leadership team, and at first they struggled with it a bit. Some of them wanted to know, how will doing this benefit our church? The pastor said, it won't benefit us. It will benefit the kids. They talked about it, thought about it, prayed about it, made some phone calls, and finally decided to do it. This church bought a brand new central air conditioning unit for a church of another denomination. And today, every day after school, this place is packed with kids. Now, I'd say that's compassion, responding to human need, even when we must go out of our way, even when we don't get the credit for it, even when it helps those we might consider the least. Friends, when we stand before the throne on that final day, the Bible says that we will be judged according to what we do. How, how did you respond to human need? Did you or did you not show compassion? Now, having said that, I want to make something abundantly clear. This message is not merely that if we are nice to people, we will go to heaven. There's more to it than that. To live lives of compassion, we must first be on the receiving end of God's mercy. We must come to the place in our lives where we realize that we're goats and we're in need of his transforming grace. We need Jesus to come into our lives, to forgive us of our sins and to make sheep out of us so that we can live like sheep. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that word all means all. It means all of us. Before we could ever do any good thing, we first need to be made right with Him. And friends, if you're not in a right relationship with God, you can be. The Holy Spirit may be tugging at your heart right now to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission and feel the passion.